0: everybody, welcome to another episode of The Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. My name's Mike. Hi Mike. Hey,
1: baby girl. How are you?
0: Oh, I'm just living the dream over here. Yeah, you are
1: married to me. I hear you. It's just uh, you get to wake up and see me snoring, snoozing next to you. Every day
0: day is a dream living with you, Mike.
1: Uh, Life could be a dream. You're the the
0: love of my life Uh and my soulmate.
1: Okay, cut the uh, crap now. (laughs) So let's actually talk about real things. And uh, thanks for listening to our podcast. We are the Crime and Coffee Couple. Uh, We do enjoy coffee every single time we record. Uh, We don't talk about it a whole lot, but uh, we come at you every Sunday at 9 a.m. And uh, usually there's coffee in hand. And this day is no different, but um, this is a little more spiced up because... We went to Chicago to see family and stuff like that, and it was a lot of fun. And Allison fell in love with my brother and sister-in-law's um, coffee bar.
0: I did. So
1: you, we came home, and there's a bunch of Amazon packages sitting there. And uh, I sure warned
0: enough, you ahead of time. So when did I do, yeah, I did. When we were at the church for your sister's wedding, oh, I said just so you know, Mike, I have these things in my cart.
1: Oh, I didn't know. Well,
0: you don't listen to yeah, me. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> So anyway, when I go to somebody's house and granted Mike's brother and our sister in law, their house is freaking adorable. So of course, I'm admiring their beautiful home. And I'm like taking in Oh, I like that. Oh, I like that. But I've been on such a coffee kick lately. And I've always loved coffee. But I mean, when we were in Chicago, I was slamming coffee like it was nobody's business. I was drinking iced coffee like all day. I'm like, this is kind
1: of nuts. Kind of like water. Like right now you have your Stanley Cup always, but Mm -hmm. you know, you're just drinking these coffees like they're water.
0: Yeah. At one point I was like, Ooh, I got a detox. I'm kind (laughs) of flying high. Yeah. So I loved their coffee bar. So we'll share some pictures. I kind of made our own little coffee bar. They've got like a standalone, like. Uh, what would you call that? Uh, like a hutch type of deal? Sure,
1: hutch. That they have I mean, it all I mean, there's no like it. thing to go over it, but yeah, it's just like a, I don't know. I don't know what so these things are So ours is
0: just a little area of our kitchen, and I think it turned out very nice.
1: Very nice. And apparently now you need to have clear glass cups to drink, uh, cold coffee through yeah and they've got is.
0: glass straws
1: yeah this is apparently i've seen this like on instagram and stuff so I, I guess this is the new thing
0: it's it's lovely we got the 20 ounce tumblers but we're gonna link to everything we have at our coffee bar I guess you could say that would be our Amazon addiction this week.
1: Our Amazon addiction? Uh,
0: yeah, ours. I
1: guess since I'm also on the show, yes. Uh, but we call it Allison's Amazon addiction. So what <laughs> Let's I'm gonna,
0: call a spade a spade. What either. I'm going to
1: start doing is like leaving everything in the Amazon shop that we have and just link to that so you can see everything we've mentioned ever. Yeah. So uh, all these things we've purchased and used and enjoyed.
0: Yes, so. we wouldn't share something we didn't like. Um, we don't have a huge list of things because you only just started it.
1: Yeah, I'm going to keep adding things.
0: Yeah, so you should check out the coffee bar picture though cuz I'm kind of proud of it.
1: Yeah, there's so we're going to put those what on Instagram? Yes. Okay. We'll yeah. do that. But um yeah, besides that, I feel pretty good and accomplished about myself. I did replace a panel on the screen today. We have an outdoor uh, screened in patio that we call the lanai. Yeah, down here, here in, Florida. in Florida,
0: we say lanai. Yeah, but
1: it's just a screened in patio. Screens all around, so it's like a screened house.
0: They say like a bird cage.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like a human bird cage, a human cage. And our cat our new kitty, he like knocked out one of the pieces, or somebody he
0: didn't. Did. It was our son's animal friends. Ah,
1: yes, yes. So uh, the kitty actually found that little hole, and there's been what twice now that we found him yes. outside of the cage. So yes,
0: and thank goodness because our fence has slats where he's tiny enough he could have gotten out and we may have never seen him again and keep in mind this is Florida there are alligators he would have been a nice little snack for a gator
1: there's gators right behind our house
0: yeah but luckily he's he like wanted to come back in so we look out the sliding glass door and we see him pause like looking in at us from the outside of the screen
1: he's you know? like please guys
0: please I know I'm like oh man so I thought I fixed it just a temporary fix but the little bastard push right through it again yeah he's so like there's no
1: like, litter out here there's no food i don't understand
0: <laughs> you're like a legitimate handyman mike yeah
1: i mean it did take me what i mean don't include the multiple trips to lowes but um it was like two hours or maybe an hour, hour yeah or so. and i
0: came over to check on his progress and he wasn't happy with me
1: well let's lay it out exactly how it was so you sat down you looked at it and you're like hi and i was like oh hey um and you're like how's it going i'm like i don't know Okay, I guess like because you know, it's my first time screening something and uh, she's like, it's a little loose here. I'm like, oh, thank you so much. I most certainly did not say
0: that I said, can you pull it a little tighter when you put it in
1: because it's loose put it in <laughs> uh, whoa hey now hey now <laughs>
0: anyway people don't want to hear about this crap okay so should we get going oh and to when you're listening to this episode because we're recording a day early it's our son's 15th birthday yeah
1: happy birthday to our big boy happy
0: birthday to our cameron yeah
1: and uh oh I, we're not gonna have the frownies commercial in the beginning but we still uh well you still suggest frownies
0: yeah i use frownies most every night yeah
1: so we'll throw it in there every once in a while yeah
0: pepper it in. yeah so anyways okay so i'm ready to go if you are i am so this is the murder of Jennifer Webb. So this story is a listener suggestion from the user on Instagram. It's Hales. So in 2011, Jennifer or Jenny Webb was a 32 year old woman, woman who lived in Buena Vista, Michigan. So I had to train myself how to say this town because here in Florida, we say Buena Vista. Yeah.
1: Like Disney Lake Buena Vista, mm-hmm.
0: but it's Buena Vista. It's how they pronounce it, I guess in Michigan and Colorado. So that's what I will be saying. So her best friend was Andrea King, and she described Jenny as the most loving and happiest person you could ever want to meet. Family described her as fun-loving and charismatic. Jenny had a great job. She worked for a company called PF Markey. She owned her own home. Those that knew her said that she was extremely reliable. She could always be counted on for lending a helping hand. So she was said to have a magnetic personality that attracted everyone around Jenny was born on April 12th, 1979.
1: One day before me.
0: One day exactly before you. So she was born to parents Donald and Dawn Webb. She graduated from Bridgeport High School in 1997 and attended Saginaw Valley State University. Jenny was an avid Michigan football fan. She loved to go camping and hunting. So Jenny's mom, Dawn Webb, said that when Jenny found out that she was pregnant, she was actually five months along already. Wow. Can you imagine like being Pretty more far. than halfway through your pregnancy? You're like,
1: you're pregnant and you will have your baby in your arms within Ooh, four months. Man. Good luck.
0: That's a bombshell. So she was very surprised by the news of her pregnancy. She called her mom. She was actually in tears at that moment to tell her the news. Again, the news was unexpected because Jenny wasn't really dating anybody seriously at the time. I mean, we we all know how babies result. You don't have to be dating anybody. But Cat a slot B. Yeah. But uh, everybody was surprised by the
1: news. Yeah. And she's like, huh? Who could it have been?
0: So she did tell the family that the father was a man named Kenneth Blue. He was a police officer with the Buena uh, Buna, Buena Vista with the Buena Vista Township Police. So, Jenny had known Kenneth for 10 years and explained that she had gotten pregnant under very casual circumstances. She believed that at that point in time, he was separated from his wife. They were no longer living together. This, however, proved to be untrue.
1: Like a lot of these uh, dirtbags that say that they're separated, and they're really not because mm-hmm. they just want to get in your pants.
0: So, Kenneth was still very much married, he was still very much living with his wife. So, it was Jenny's plan to raise her son, who she'd already named Braxton. As a single parent, Dawn indicated that she had never met Kenneth. She would hear her daughter mention his name, but that's really all she knew about him. She knew his name. She knew he was a police officer with the uh, Buena Vista police. So Dawn said that she always thought of her daughter as the sparkle of their family. She loved life. She had a great attitude and nothing ever got her down. And I think we can all think of somebody like that in our lives. And it's so awesome to be in their presence because they are bucket fillers Rather than bucket emptiers. You know yeah. how, like, you leave an interaction with a person like that and you're like, ah, oh, I love them.
1: And I always think of that as like people that you want to invite to a party because mm-hmm. they bring more to the table.
0: Yes. So on the evening of Tuesday, August 30th, 2011, after finishing her work shift, Jenny headed over to her friend Andrea's house that I had mentioned earlier. So Andrea had just recently had newborn twin girls. And if you've had a newborn baby, you know how much work they are and you put two into the mix. So being a good friend that always did lend a helping hand, Jenny went over there to help support her friend. Nice. So at this point in time, Jenny was eight and a half months pregnant with her baby boy. She was very excited about it. Jenny left Andrea's house at 8.30 p.m. She explained to her friend that she was going to see baby daddy, is how she referred to him that night, to talk to him about the fact that she planned to put his name on Braxton's birth certificate. She also planned to discuss discuss the plan for collecting child support from him. So that was a plan that evening. So she also speculated, wondering if Kenneth had told his wife about the fact that he was having another baby. (laughs) I don't think that would go over very well. So according to Andrea, Jenny seemed annoyed that she had to meet Kenneth, but she knew it was something that just simply needed to be done. Andrea was firm on the fact that despite carrying Kenneth's baby, Jenny was in no way in love with him, nor did she have any intention of marrying him in hopes that they would raise the baby together.
1: So it sounds like Kenneth might be just good in bed. It, and, perhaps, uh, yeah. and
0: she knew, you know, the situation that he himself. She thought he was separated, but that was a complicated situation. She's an independent girl. She has her own money. She has her own home. She's doing this on her own. She's going to be a single mother, and Kenneth just happens to be the father. So sadly, as uh, Jenny walked out the door of Andrea's home, she basically said, "See you next time," same or "See you tomorrow," same time. And um Andrea's like, "If you'll come and help me, that would be great." And she said, "Yep, see you then." walked out the door, and this is the last time Andrea saw her friend alive. Mm. So that evening, Kenneth was on duty, and between 9.05 and 10.30 p.m., he was not responding to multiple attempts to contact him via police radio. So he was not responding to the police radio, patrol car computer, or cell phone. Central dispatch performs radio checks to confirm that an officer is safe. So it's just like Mm check-ins and central. And so Kenneth isn't responding to any of these. So then there's a 10.20 p.m. radio check. He still doesn't check in at that point. So after all forms of contact went unanswered, a text message was sent via the patrol car's computer, which would have flashed or sounded an alarm, and Central Dispatch sent another alert tone to Kenneth's patrol car. After 10.30 p.m., Kenneth did try to call an officer on the administrative channel. He also contacted dispatch to inform them he did not specify his location when he did do that check-in. So basically, between 9.05 and 10.30 p.m., he was missing in action. So uh, Buena Vista police officer Tim Patterson, he was also on patrol in the area. So he was driving around the area that he knew Kenneth frequented when he was on patrol. He also knew that Kenneth would often go not far from a police shooting range to take a nap during his shift. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, if, uh, I guess you know him pretty well.
0: <laughs> yeah. So he's like, oh, I'm going to pop over, see what Kenneth's up to. So as Tim drove near the Van Buren Waste Treatment Facility, he saw Kenneth's patrol car on a dead-end road in a remote area. Its car's spotlight was shining on a Pontiac Aztec SUV at this point. So as both officers are now stopped, they get out of their cars. And as they're approaching this Aztec, Kenneth says to Tim, how do you want to do this? So Tim noticed that Kenneth was sweating profusely as if he had just gotten out of the shower, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that it's a cool evening.
1: And cops, you know, that's what they're trying to look for, little details.
0: Right. So he was out of breath. He seemed disheveled to Tim. So Tim approached the Aztecs passenger side and Kenneth went to the driver's side. As Tim moved toward the driver's side, he noticed that the back door of the car was open, a brown electrical cord was tied and hanging from the roof rack of the car. And at that point, he's following the extension cord from the roof rack and seeing where it's going. It's leading to a woman who is laying in the ditch with the end of the extension cord tied around her neck. Uh. So it appeared that the on just quick glance, he could easily see that the victim was visibly pregnant. She was not breathing, did not appear to be. Her lips were blue. Tim initially considered the scene a suicide and noticed central uh, notified central dispatch of this. So during this time, Tim noticed that Kenneth was acting strangely in addition to the fact that he was sweating profusely and seemed disheveled. So he said that despite having much experience on the scene of gruesome crimes, because you know, when you're a seasoned officer, we actually, when we were in Chicago, one of our friends is a police officer and I was just having a conversation with him. He's on midnight shifts. Like, Just some of the crazy things he sees on a nightly basis. Yeah, you
1: get desensitized. You
0: do. And it seems like that's where Kenneth was. You know, he's come upon multiple gruesome scenes. So it was strange to Tim that he seemed rattled by this. Yeah, something's up. Right. So he seemed nervous and uneasy at the same time. So Kenneth found the victim's purse in the car, and inside this purse was a typewritten suicide note. He also found a driver's license and a cell phone. The suicide note indicated that this victim did not know who the father of the baby was. It was just someone that she had met at the bar, and his name was Chris. And it also said, I've spent the last or I've spent the past several months trying to convince myself I was okay with this pregnancy, but I'm not. I can't afford to support myself. Then I have a baby on the way that I can't support either. The note ended with, it's the only way I love you and I'm sorry, Jenny. At the same time, they were able to identify that the victim was Jenny Webb based on the ID they found in her purse. At this point in time, Kenneth proclaimed that he knew Jenny from a local bar. So at the same time, another detective is coming along. This is Detective Sergeant Sean Waterman. He indicated that he responded to a phone call from Officer Tim Patterson about the possible suicide on the evening of August 30th, 2011, he came near the intersection of North Outer Drive and um, Hack Road. This is where they were all parked. So minutes later, Detective Sergeant S- Sean Waterman arrived and Kenneth began to take evidence photos. At the time, it seemed like an open and shut case of suicide. That's what they you know, were all speculating. The car was basically taken away and Jenny's body was transferred to the morgue because at that point in time, they did not consider it a crime scene. So as the officers headed back to the station to write up the reports, Tim noticed that Kenneth's eye, which had previously been red, was now turning black and blue. He also noticed that he took his laundry bag to his truck and sent instead of sending his uniform to the department's laundry service at the end of the shift, like he always did. It's
1: probably against policy too.
0: Right. So Tim was also aware that Kenneth was certified as an instructor in pressure point control tactics or PPCT, which is used to control someone with your bare hands. Wow. So as an officer, if you're needing to restrain someone without a weapon, he was uh, Kenneth was trained to do so. So as Waterman was at the crime scene with state police and the crime lab, Kenneth came back. He pulls up, rolls up to the scene. He's now wearing his civilian clothing and waterman is basically like go back to the station and stay there what are you coming back here for yeah
1: is this uh, special to you for
0: some reason yeah exactly so detective waterman then had the terrible task of notifying jenny's family of the devastating news of her death
1: that's got to be one of the worst parts oh
0: what a nightmare to have to wake a family up in the middle of the night to tell them that not only is their daughter gone but their grandchild and
1: he has to go to their house i'd imagine yeah you so, can't do it over the phone yeah
0: that's- he so he went to the house he's stood on the porch and called them and basically said, I'm here. I'm out here. I'm on your porch. Please come to the door. So he arrived to their house at 1 a.m. Now in the early morning hours of August 31st, her parents immediately did not believe that their daughter would have committed suicide because of course, and her, his, her mom was basically like, I asked a stupid question. I said, so she's gone. She's dead. And he said, yes, she is. He's she said she may be dead, but she did not commit suicide. So they explained that she was preparing for the arrival of her baby boy and showed the detectives all the preparations that she was making for her baby. They then dropped the bombshell when they explained that Kenneth was the baby's father because that's what the um, officer was saying. He's like, so do you guys know who the dad is? And they're like, actually, yeah, he's one of your own.
1: <sighs> Man. It's Officer Ken Blue. And this is Tim doing the thing?
0: No, this is Detective Waterman. Oh, okay, gotcha. So, so. his... He just like lost all feeling in his face. He's like,
1: oh, this is going to be big.
0: Bombshell. Yeah. Absolute bombshell. So they explained that Kenneth was the baby's father and that Jenny had planned to meet him that evening about putting his name on the birth certificates. Detective Waterman indicated that he had been in public safety. He had worked as a paramedic. He did a tour in Southeast Asia. Not much rattled him. But the news that Kenneth was the baby's father absolutely rattled him and made him sick to his
1: stomach. Oh, of course. I mean, this is like one a guy you trust and everything that's out there with you and all of a sudden he, he claims, yeah, I might know her from a bar. It's like, yeah, you're probably the one that killed her. A cop knows this. We know this. know, yeah, we've heard these mm-hmm. stories. Everybody listening knows he did this. So right. it's just like, oh man, he's getting him for a world of pain.
0: So Waterman knew right then and there as he stood that night speaking with Jenny's family that Kenneth was responsible for Jenny's murder. Yep. He knew that the whole scene had been staged. After the conversation with Jenny's family, Michigan State Police were contacted to get involved. Like
1: how the hell does he get away with it or not get away with this, but do this thinking that he will get away with it. So
0: we'll talk more about it and you'll probably understand better by the end.
1: And a uh, quick question do you know what Jenny did for a living?
0: Um, I looked up the company she worked for. They were like distributors of like machine parts. It's pretty
1: impressive. She was, you know, affording her own house. Yeah, she went to college. She yeah. was an
0: independent woman, smart yeah. girl. I
1: mean, I'm not even saying for a woman or whatever, like it's it's hard these days mm-hmm. I mean, you, right now i mean it's really hard to afford things but. and
0: this was 2011 yeah. so when jenny's cell phone was checked the call log showed recent calls from who she had marked in her phone as ken cop boo so <laughs> incidentally this number matched kenneth's phone number really mm-hmm. huh. so there were two phone calls from jenny to kenneth at 8 28 p.m and then at 8.43 p.m. And then one call from Kenneth to Jenny at 8.48 p.m.
1: Like, so they had is, made
0: three phone calls to each other.
1: Kenneth is a freaking moron, man. Right? Like, <laughs> he's the dumbest person. One of the dumbest people we ever talked about. We talked about some dumb criminals.
0: And uh, again, we'll have a conversation at the end of how we th- uh, how I believe he thought it was all going to go. OK. So by the time the Michigan State Police lead investor who lead excuse me, easy for me to say, lead investigator, Detective Sergeant Alan Allen arrived on scene everything is gone at this point because again they believe that it was a suicide case they towed the car away they took her body away so he's rolling up to nothing he's on the street
1: well that's pretty poor police work
0: well i I think it's just they jumped to conclusions quickly but also quickly realized like shortly thereafter that this is more than it needs to be but you'll see it's actually good detective work okay so he reviewed the crime scene that he had available to him, as well as the crime scene photo- photos. Oddly enough, that Kenneth himself had taken. You know, this detective Ellen Og is like, this was an interesting scenario. And
1: like, without trying, I mean, it's a horrible, horrible thing, obviously. And he's almost laughing to himself, like he's like- supposed to know better than this, but um, he didn't. So here's it. Here's the pictures.
0: I mean, talk about being involved in you know the scene. Yeah. So the scene was secured until forensic science scientists Gary Genther and Valerie Bowman arrived the next morning. There they found a pair of flip-flop sandals in the ditch below where Jenny's car was found, but little else. They felt that it was odd that there, there must be some more evidence somewhere. And so they canvassed the area and police were able to find the spot at about 195 feet away from where they thought, you know, it took place, you know, they're, they're finding more there. So at that spot, they found a cigarette butt, a charm from a necklace and a drop of blood. Oh. The evidence was collected and sent for testing, which included uh, testing of both Jenny's and Kenneth's cars. So nine hours after Jenny's body was discovered, Kenneth was interviewed by Sergeant Ott. And at this point, he was giving off the appearance of being just fully cooperative. He's chilled. I watched the interview. He had nothing to hide. The interview first appeared, if you were looking in at it, like as a casual conversation, it basically had the appearance of three cops just hanging out. Things quickly turned serious.
1: Man, I don't care who you are. If Even if you had nothing to do with something, I would get a lawyer before talking to anybody because I don't want to be pressured into saying the wrong thing. You know, he didn't. like <laughs> he's got to be so full of himself to think he can yes. get away with this. And
0: that just goes to show how smug, What's the word I'm trying to think of?
1: Narcissistic. Yeah. Like egotistical. He, he
0: just thought he was going to get away with this.
1: Yeah, he got it all under control. Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, they're asking, so what What all happened? Ken, tell us about it. So Ken said that he was patrolling the area when he noticed that a car was parked there. He said that at that point, then Tim rolled up. And they both got out of the car at the same time. They approached the car, and he indicated that he was the person who found the suicide note in Jenny's purse as he looked for her ID. He said at this point, he realized he knew the victim. So Kenneth was asked why he had not checked Jenny's body for vital signs. And he said there was no movement. It did not appear that her chest was rising. He said her lips were blue, and he did not have the impression that she was alive. He didn't want to disturb the scene. He told investigators that he knew Jenny for about 10 years. They were friends. They would see each other maybe once or twice a month. They asked if he'd recognized her when he first walked to where her body lay. And he said because of her positioning, he didn't. And they're like, you know, for somebody that you've known for 10 years, we find it strange. You'd
1: ha- you wouldn't you would be like, oh, that's somebody that I've known for 10 years right. that I see twice a month.
0: <laughs> so the way that he explained this was that he... He was in cop mode, and he wasn't used to seeing her that way. You know, normally when they would meet up at the bars, she would have her hair done, so he, he didn't recognize her.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it goes back to cops being perceptive, so he, he would recognize her right away.
0: Yes. So they asked him if he had ever been sexually involved with Jenny, if there was any chance that he could potentially be the father of her unborn baby.
1: Already knowing that he's going to test positive for being <laughs> the, the unborn baby's daughter. Yes.
0: They've already had the conversation with her family. He is saying, nope, it's not Possible? I've never slept with that girl. So
1: that's stupid because they're going to test the the kid, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, or the I'm sorry, yeah, the the the, the fetus or whatever. Um, it's he knows he's going to get caught. So yes. why wouldn't you say, yeah, maybe you know once or twice you know, we get drunk. Like That would be my story. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I don't know. I probably drank more than I should have and maybe we did, yeah.
0: Right. So when they explain that her family was fully under the impression that he was the father, they're like, he, they, they named you. They said you work for this department. He said, huh, wow. Huh. <laughs> That's exactly what he
1: said. Again, not laughing at the situation, laughing at how much of an idiot an, this guy is. An idiot.
0: So... As he's saying, huh, wow, he continues to say, I could not be the father of that baby. I've never slept with her. So he's hesitating to sign the consent form to obtain his DNA. Eventually, he agreed. And as he's basically taking the paperwork and signing his name, he's telling the officers, all right, listen, guys, I got to tell you something. I actually have slept with that girl.
1: Yeah, because you're going to find out anyways. May as well tell him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So in the meantime, Jenny's autopsy was completed by Dr. Kanu Varani, who is an expert in forensic pathology. He found no injury or bleeding inside Jenny's neck, which would be expected in a death by hanging. Dr. Varani concluded that her cause of death was neck compression and listed the manner of death as homicide. He believed that the way that she had died was from suffocation, likely from a chokehold. Wow. So it was also noted that she had bruising on her arms, her face, her chest, her neck. She did have a ligature mark from the cord that was wrapped around her neck. It just so happened that Kenneth had his training manual on chokeholds sitting in the front seat of his patrol car (sighs) Opened. Oh my
1: God! And
0: this was very unusual. Uh, wait,
1: so this was recorded somehow, right? That they somebody observed
0: knew this? the manual on his front seat
1: of his cop car. Wow, that is nuts. To what an the idiot. point
0: of about chokehold. So he was basically reviewing his tactics before he went ahead and did this horrific thing
1: it's like okay uh let me see let me
0: fresh freshen up here <laughs> you're flipping
1: the pages you're like ah chokeholds okay here we go yeah. and how am i gonna kill jenny right i mean here? okay it's perfect.
0: absolutely disgusting
1: kind of weird too it's like i mean i think anybody knows how to choke somebody right i mean and he's supposed to be an expert on pressure points
0: yeah i mean it would be he's got the advantage of being a big guy i mean i could put you in a chokehold it's not going to do jack squats
1: yeah yeah but i mean he's supposed to be an expert yeah Are
0: you really an expert, Ken? Because why are you reviewing your manual here? Sounds
1: like Ken's an idiot.
0: So when Kenneth was brought in for questioning, investigators noted these scratches that I had referred to the one by his eye that Tim had noticed, but they're seeing additional scratches to not only his eye, but his head, his arms. Again, the, the one next to his right eye was very glaring. He explained, oh, yeah, I got it from my dog a few days ago. His index finger was also bandaged. They asked if they would expect to find his DNA under Jenny's fingernails. And he said, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there.
1: Oof oh, man. Bad answer. I don't so, know. I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay.
0: So Officer Sarah Sylvester indicated that she shared a pizza with Kenneth that evening about 7.30 p.m. This is the evening of Jenny's murder. She indicated that as they sat across from each other eating their pizza, he had no marks on him, specifically no mark on the corner of his eye, which again was very obvious when looking at him.
1: And good for her for being able to recollect that because sometimes it's just like, I don't know, we were sitting there, you know, right. I don't, wasn't looking attention. at his eyes. But, you know, again, police officer work comes in handy because mm-hmm. it's like, nope, I remember specifically.
0: Right. And you, think you know when you're looking at somebody having a conversation with them, you're looking into their eyes. You would see a scratch there.
1: I know. I'd be like, I don't know.
0: Yeah. So what color is her hair? Well, I don't know.
1: <laughs> Could it's be anything. Like,
0: uh, a few weeks ago or months ago, I covered my eyes and asked our son what color eyes I had. And he said brown.
1: Yeah. Well, they're not. Like, they're greenish. No.
0: <laughs> they're, yeah, I'm like, okay. So the DNA from the cigarette butt did come back. It was a match for Kenneth. Weird. And the DNA from the necklace charm, as well as the drop of blood at the scene of the crime, was a match for Jenny. Beautiful. So detectives believe that while she was being strangled, her nose began to bleed. And that was the drop of blood that they saw on the ground. A crime lab also found, as they're going through Jenny's clothing, they found the tip of a latex glove that had been tangled amongst her clothes. This, on the inside of the tip of the finger, contained blood that matched Kenneth's DNA. Perfect. On the outside of this tip was a mixed stain from both Jenny and Kenneth from human blood as well as saliva. So it was then theorized that he was wearing these gloves when she bit his finger.
1: Mm. Hence,
0: the saliva on the outside, his blood on the inside, and them seeing his finger bandaged while they were doing the interview with him. Man,
1: what a fighter. Poor Jenny. Yes. She did, thank, thank God she did that. So yes. we can put this scumbag behind bars.
0: 100 percent So as the investigation continued, Jenny's obstetrician also indicated that she was extremely excited for the arrival of her baby. She showed absolutely no signs of depression. Kenneth's home computer was analyzed by an expert in forensic computer analysis.
1: How to choke a pregnant woman that I impregnated.
0: Oh, such a scumbag. So the computer showed several searches that had been made made during the summer of 2011 that concerned suicide as well as painless ways to commit suicide as well as hanging several searches from august of 2011 that very month included ways to die from carotid artery compression and how long such a death would take so i mean pretty black and white there an expert in dna analysis conducted a paternity test and determined lo and behold kenneth was the father of jenny's baby how about that Blood from Kenneth's clothing, as well as from the inside and outside of Jenny's car, found that they matched the DNA from Kenneth. A swab from under Jenny's fingernails showed a mixture of her own DNA as well as Kenneth's. Because again, they asked, with the scratches they saw all over his body, will we find your DNA under her fingernails? The answer was a big, fat yes.
1: Uh, I don't know. I wasn't there. I
0: wasn't there. So, evidence told the story that Jenny met Kenneth as she told her parents, as she told Andrea. She was meeting baby daddy to figure out the logistics. She was very close to the end of her pregnancy here. She was eight and a half months pregnant. I
1: mean, idiot Kenneth, you got to know that everybody knows she's meeting you, you dumbass. Right. Like, what a freaking moron.
0: So, of course, they're meeting in this secluded area, which I'm sure he posed to her as like, I'm out on patrol. You got to come out here and meet me. So it's this secluded area. They're there. They're talking. He, being a big, tall man, attacked her from behind and placed her in a chokehold, strangling her to death.
1: That's absolutely disgusting. As somebody who, like, loves their children, you know, and any parent, anybody that has a child they love dearly like how the hell do you do that with your little eight month old you know baby inside I'm not eight months I mean they, but, you know like this is a, a if, if something happened that baby can easily oh live.
0: easily she was she was two weeks away from being full term she like was eight so and a sad. half months pregnant. It's disgusting.
1: And not only that, but like she didn't want him to have anything to do with it. I mean, yeah, financially, sure. But I mean, that's what happens when you sleep with people.
0: Ultimately, I think he feared what it would do to his marriage is what I'm guessing. I'm speculating that. Sure. So, you know, again, he strangled her to death. And during the struggle, Jenny not only scratched Kenneth, but also bit a sizable piece of skin from the tip of one of his fingers. He then placed her body in the backseat of her own car and drove her to this other location, which was, what did I say, 195 feet away. Once there, he staged the murder to look like a suicide. During the staging, the blood from his injured finger was then transferred throughout her car, as well as to the extension cord that he wrapped around. Around her neck, and then connected to the roof rack. So once the cord was connected to the roof rack, they believe that he pushed her body out of the car into the ditch where she was ultimately found. Mm. I mean, he is a freaking monster. So he provided investigators with the uniform that he'd worn. It was obvious that he had laundered it that night. They also found a second uniform under the backseat of his personal car that had blood stains on the shirt and pants, which was a match for his own DNA. Because again, his finger was bleeding. Yeah. So the suicide note was also found to be fake. According to Jenny's mom, had Jenny written that note, it would not have been typed. It would instead have been handwritten. And what her mom said would have either been a pink, a green, or a purple purple glitter pen my kind of girl yeah
1: why not add some flair
0: when i do all i write a lot at work and it's never a black pen we've always got the bold colors going that's
1: pretty funny i never think of what kind of pen i'm picking up
0: i thought about a lot about jenny because she seemed like such an awesome girl and we were born a month apart from each other and we were both pregnant at the same time Hmm. i would have been about six months pregnant at this point so it's just so tragic to me it's disgusting. So she said that she would have also left a suicide note for each person that she was close with. Dawn said that she doesn't even really remember what was on the note because after reading about a quarter of it, she knew that it was not legitimate. The wording was so unlike anything that would have come from her daughter.
1: Yeah, you talk to like any kind of linguistics expert and like they they know if it's really somebody Mm -hmm. writing this, you know, everybody has a writing style, right? Yeah, how how they sound on paper and yeah, especially it sounds like they knew a lot about their daughter. That's incredible that they would know that. And right. you kind of know hearing that, that, that's probably the truth.
0: Right. And you know, like she was probably a very lively personality. This was not at all her style. But Like she
1: would never do this. And if she did this, 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 this. Yes. That's incredible. So
0: the note had been typed in single space, number 10 font. The language used was uncharacteristic, like I said, of Jenny. And on further processing, detectives found 14 clear separate fingerprints on the backside of the note, which all belonged to Kenneth.
1: Oh my God. This Again, is one of the dumbest people. What's his last name? Blue? Blue. Kenneth Blue is one of the dumbest human beings that has ever lived.
0: Yep. So the fingerprints were shown to have no defects indicating injury, which Kenneth's prints had directly had been injured after the uh, murder. This indicated that the note had been typed before Jenny's murder, which suggested a premeditated act.
1: Uh, I'm getting chills because there's just like so many things that are going to put him in the slammer. And that's fantastic.
0: So there was not a single fingerprint from Jenny on the slide. Letter. insane just like i said she didn't type it her mom knew like
1: literally, this is not my daughter none of this makes any sense whatsoever like this guy needs to know better than that as a cop like, Ugh, crazy
0: sick so on september 13th 2011 two weeks after jenny was murdered kenneth was arrested kenneth was the son of a detroit police officer who served in the city for 28 years before his death in 2006 Kenneth followed in his father's footsteps. He began working for the Saginaw County Sheriff's Department in 1997, and then he accepted the position within the Uh, Buena Vista police force. So this is where he worked from the time he was arrested in 2011. He had been married to a woman named Lisa. The couple had a young son together at the time of his arrest. Lisa immediately filed for divorce Good for her. So in October of 2012, more than a year after both Jenny and her unborn baby had been murdered, 37 year old Kenneth went to trial. The prosecution called 31 witnesses, whereas the defense called only one. "'Kenneth himself never took the stand. "'After two hours of deliberation, "'Kenneth was found guilty of first-degree "'premeditated murder, "'assault of a pregnant individual "'with the intent to cause miscarriage or stillbirth, "'and two counts of felony firearm possession. "'He was sentenced to life in prison "'without the possibility of parole.'" As well as, uh, so that was for his first degree murder conviction. Then he was given 65 to 100 years for the assault conviction and two years for each felony firearm conviction. Saginaw County Circuit Judge Darnell Jackson spoke to Kenneth during his sentencing and said, For me to say the evidence of your guilt in this case was overwhelming is an understatement. You plotted and researched this killing for quite a while before you actually committed it. You decided you were going to do it and you did it. You waited for the right time and the right place. It was a heinous and cold-blooded murder. Just like you plotted and planned the murder of Jennifer Webb, you, by necessity, also plotted and planned the murder of her baby. You have to have known that when you killed her, the baby was also going to die. So, Kenna's sister, oh, this is sick, Debbie Dennis, believes that the only explanation for what happened that night was that Jenny killed herself, Or maybe it was just an accident.
1: She's still saying that to this day? Oh my God. What an idiot.
0: She said, I hate to say that she would have tied a cord around her own neck just to scare him, but some women can be dramatic.
1: Is this the only person that they called to the stand?
0: I don't know who they call to the stand. Okay.
1: But I mean, it probably was her because she sounds like a freaking moron.
0: And, you know, basically alluding to the fact that Jenny is this hysterical woman who would have tied a, a rope or a cord around her neck.
1: Clearly there's mental illness problems in the blue family
0: so the sister says I think all the answers probably died with her Debbie believes the evidence was lacking It's like, lady, the the evidence was mounting.
1: We literally never had such an easy case. It was as, as easy as Kenneth dumbass blue.
0: Right, open and close. So according to Debbie, had Kenneth moved Jenny to her car and pushed her out into the ditch, there would have been drag marks and there were no scrapes where he pushed her out the door. She also pointed out that there wasn't a single strand of Jenny's hair on Kenneth's uniform. And had they struggled... There would have been, as Debbie's philosophy. I mean,
1: this is like the, a case you would give a rookie cop, like mm-hmm. a, a made-up case, and be like, okay, solve who did it, you yeah. know, like before they even become cops. It's right. like, you know, an introduction to coppery, if mm-hmm. that's, a, it's not a word, but I'm going to make it a word. There, This is such a simple case.
0: It is. So Debbie believes that her brother was set up and evidence may have been planted. In regards to the blood that was found on Jenny's body and in her car, she theorizes that somebody put it there because they definitely had access to his blood and finger Prince. Does she think the police force like keeps <laughs> vials of the cops blood? Well,
1: obviously, yeah. <laughs> everywhere just in case in case you ever need to frame somebody it's there you pour it right on top of the body and you're good to go
0: i just had to share that just by the sheer ridiculousness i'm
1: glad you did because she doesn't deserve any airtime. but at the same time it's fun to laugh and poke fun at how stupid she is
0: i mean ridiculous so detective sergeant alan Og feels that in kenneth's mind he thought he was going to get away with it he really believed he was so others involved felt that jenny was the best witness in this case because Because of the blood that she managed to leave behind in her fight to stay alive, not only for herself, but as well as her baby. And this girl is a freaking badass. For sure. So, again, because of the way she fought back, it put the evidence everywhere.
1: And it goes to show, like, you know, don't let people's lives like this go to waste. Because if you're ever in a situation like this, man, just get any kind of DNA you can from yourself, from them, Mm -hmm. any kind of blood you can manage to get from your attacker or yourself get it out there somehow right. so that people can find it. You know if you think you're going down you get into that fight or flight response and fight your ass off, man. That's, and
0: and that's exactly what she did. Thank God. Cuz you have to wonder had she not fought as hard as she did. There wouldn't be DNA evidence under her nails. He wouldn't have visible scratches to himself. However, he did leave the fingerprints all over the suicide note, but maybe they wouldn't even have investigated that. Sure. You know, it
1: sounded like it was going to be kind of just like, okay, suicide. Yes.
0: And say she say he had gotten into her phone and deleted the the call log that showed that they had called each other. He may have been a free man right now. And so
1: maybe 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 an autopsy wouldn't have been done. You know, who it's very,
0: very possible. So it's very likely that Kenneth never imagined that the crime scene would be as messy and bloody as it ended up being. So that's what I was going to loop back around to because you're like, what an idiot. How did he think he was going to get away with this? He thought he was simply going to put her in a quick chokehold. She was going to die. He was going to set it up. There were a couple things he didn't imagine. He didn't imagine she would fight her ass off like she did. And he didn't imagine that Tim would roll up like he did. Mm. So maybe he didn't get to clean it up as well as he could have had Tim not pulled up at that moment. But he
1: would know that he's going to be checked Checked on, you know, as a police officer, right? So he would have to know that he would have to do it very, very quickly,
0: right? And I think he didn't anticipate that it was going to take as long ah. as it did and be as messy as it was because of Jenny's badassery, right? If that's a word,
1: good for you, Jenny, man. So
0: basically, what it comes down to is that a bad cop killed an innocent woman and her unborn baby, but the good cops helped put him behind bars because they could have easily swept this under the rug. But they were not going to let that happen. Can you
1: imagine any kind of police officer that would sweep something like this under the rug? Man, maybe in small towns, but like nowhere worth its grain of salt. That's incredible.
0: So in August of 2014, a Michigan Court of Appeals sent Kenneth's case back to Saginaw County Circuit Judge Jarnell, who did the actual Jarnell Jackson, who did the sentencing. On November 3rd, 2014, Judge Jackson reluctantly reduced reduced the sentence on the assault charge, which sentenced Kenneth to 65 to 100 years, which was exceeded by your typical sentencing of this type of offense by nearly 50 years, which is so asinine because he was all, already sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for the first degree murder charge. So who gives a shit? If they're going to reduce the 65 to 100 years, this is the se- a secondary charge.
1: The only thing I can think of is due to future cases. What, what do they call it with like lawyers? The standards, yeah. like setting the... Yeah, whatever. Um, I You know the word I'm looking for. So when lawyers look at other cases that have already happened, it's like, well, this guy got 65 mm-hmm. years. Why shouldn't this guy get 65? True. You Maybe know? that's so a good point. They, he wants to make it so that you can't just look back and say, okay, yeah, we should go with a more. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah it it wasn't anything to do with him because he's going to be there in life anyways right so i wouldn't get as mad about that
0: i just thought it was kind of like a head shaker
1: yeah why'd you do it in the first place
0: so at the time at the time of the initial sentencing the judge felt that the sentencing guidelines for the assault charge did not adequately address the crime that kenneth committed because jenny's baby boy like you had said before would have been a hundred percent viable had he been born that night in a normal situation, he would he would be alive today. He would be uh, twelve years old at this point. Yeah. So the fact that he felt that that was like a pitiful. Sentence. He wanted to up the charges.
1: Yeah, it's murdering two people, right, basically. 100%. I mean, without a doubt.
0: So he reluctantly resentenced him to the maximum sentence called for by the applicable sentence guidelines, which was 18 years and nine months to 40 years in prison. So rather than the 65 to 100 years. So this was for the assault charge, which will run concurrent with the murder sentence. He would have been charged with second first-degree murder for the baby for with a second i should say first-degree murder for the baby but the state of michigan you cannot have a first-degree murder charge for an unborn child which i personally disagree with
1: yeah well at what point do you say that it's first-degree murder for a child
0: i don't know i mean That's really where i think at any point
1: because if you what, what? were to have
0: left that mother alone that baby would be born
1: what like a couple weeks in
0: i mean would it be okay I don't yeah
1: that's you know who makes that decision that's one of those things I'm not saying I don't you're I not saying answer. one way or the other yeah these are these are decisions think that about. have to be made because it has to be legal and you have to lay out all the exact details
0: right so during Kenna's sentencing Dawn Jenny's mom made a victim impact statement and said everyone who trusted you has to live with the horror of this why God didn't strike you dead I really don't know an evil monster is the only word I can think of for you go to your cage and think about how you squeezed the life and breath out of my daughter and grandson and i hope it haunts you every day for the rest of your life absolutely oh gosh sickening so that is the tragic murder of not only jennifer webb but her son braxton it's horrible and it's just a horrific thing that happened yeah
1: well thank you for bringing her to our attention and remembering her um yeah we definitely want to say you know, if if you ever again if you ever get in this situation fight 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 like crazy because it sounds like jenny was an awesome person and just a pleasure to be around Mm -hmm. it's Uh, just
0: a tragic loss
1: yeah all right. Well, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And if you like what you hear here and you want to support us, because we're a little mom and pop coffee shop um, of, of podcasting, and she's mom, I'm pop, and uh, you can go ahead and become a patron uh, for as little as five bucks, and you get awesome uh, 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 additional easy, episodes. Easy I can't, for you to say. I yeah. cannot do two things at once. <laughs> it's
0: true, folks. This is what I have to look I'm with.
1: looking at my phone to bring up the patron names, and I cannot physically <laughs> oh. do two things at once. So I'm just like... Oh
0: my gosh, and I am like the dead opposite. I could be doing 75 things at once. Well, you were
1: just on the phone with your mom before we got on, and I was looking for the little holder for the camera, and I was like, hey, hunk, can you do this? And you're like actively looking. I'm like, there's no way I could actively look for something while I'm talking to the phone. And you were like talking to your mom, like some detail about it. Yes. I'm like, nope, that wouldn't happen to me.
0: Oh, I love you, Mike.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's like a cute little person I am. So um, we want to say welcome to uh, Megan, Jen, Heather, Christy, Corrine, Susie, savannah leanne tara lynn Carrie, lisa and trisha and it's amazing every single one of you are absolutely beautiful on the inside and out so if you want more of those compliments come on and listen to the patreon episodes we've got we dole them out everywhere (laughs) so thank you so much for listening
0: we appreciate the heck out of each and every one of you for being here and listening and until next time